This week on Worldview, Russia-NATO tensions over Ukraine. How close is the world really to war in Europe? Does diplomacy have a chance? And how is India affected? Hello and welcome back to Worldview for a new season at The Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Now, if you thought you could start a new year without COVID or an impending international conflict, think again. Just as we speak, Russia has reportedly amassed about 100,000 troops at its border with the Ukraine. Uh, another 30,000 reportedly are in Belarus for massive war exercises. NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization countries, are also deploying troops to their eastern flank countries. They say in response to Russia's mobilization, uh, countries like France and Germany considering where to send their troops in Romania and Poland. They've already sent them. The US is also sending more troops, including sending more armaments to the Ukraine. Meanwhile, diplomacy is also on to avert a full crisis uh, amidst visits, including US officials in Europe, uh, talks with Russia, the British Prime Minister and Turkish presidents flying to Ukraine, to Kiev, the Hungarian Prime Minister in Moscow, uh, and another possible Biden-Putin call. Uh, all eyes really now are, there's a number of talks expected, but all eyes really are on what are called the Normandy, Normandy format of talks, uh, where Russian and Ukrainian security advisors will meet, and they will be there along with German and French advisors for talks on de-escalating the situation. Now, it still seems like a far way away for India geographically. This doesn't touch India at all. Um, but how is India really affected? After remaining quiet for more than a month of this, these tensions growing, India made two statements last week on the Russia-Ukraine tensions, appealing for a diplomatic resolution uh, to the crisis. Talks are the only way forward. At the United Nations then, India abstained from a procedural vote on whether to discuss the situation at all, a vote that Russia lost with a US-led uh, group of 10 countries agreeing to the discussion. India's vote of an abstention, remember, and India was there um, voting really along with uh, abstentions were with Kenya and Gabon. China and Russia voted together to say no discussion should be held. Um, and India's vote was really seen as a play to both sides, ensuring, uh, of course, once it was clear that the US was going to win the vote, India uh, made uh, had consultations with Russia just before the, uh, the UNSC vote. Uh, and its abstention certainly was not seen uh, to be completely in the middle. An abstention technically at the UNSC uh, does line up somewhere there with a no vote. So what were India's greatest concerns, New Delhi's biggest concerns when it comes to this crisis and why it matters? The first is the open world war scenario. Tensions uh, that could ratchet much further up any conflict where the US and its European allies arranged against Russia and its allies will impact, of course, the whole world, uh, economically as well as in terms of security. And India as a partner to both Moscow and Washington will either have to take sides or be prepared to deal with some unhappiness from both sides. In other words, India is uh, in the middle but would rather be in a situation where there is no requirement to choose. Uh, the second more immediate concern, of course, is the S-400 delivery and the U.S. waiver. The crisis comes precisely as India's purchase of the Russian S-400 missile systems is underway. Some have already arrived, more equipment are expected, and New Delhi is really hoping right now for a waiver from the U.S. sanctions on this. Conflict will clearly complicate the delivery of the system, 
system and the possibility of a presidential waiver. President Biden saying that at this time of conflict with Russia, uh, he would like to give India a waiver for buying Russian armaments. Now, the third reason is really that this move takes the focus away from China, just as US and, the, and Europe have grown more focused on their Indo-Pacific strategy that puts India center stage as they deal with China's aggression. And India is dealing with China's aggression and land grabs at the line of actual control with 100,000 troops, uh, Indian and Chinese, along the boundary on both sides. The world's attention is being diverted from China to Russia. Uh, a natural consequence of this conflict, of course, is that it brings Russia and China closer. Uh, the crisis will make Moscow even more dependent on friends like China, build a regional bloc of sorts that India is not a part of. In Beijing this week, that future seemed evident. This kind of breaking up of the world uh, along different lines. Uh, and uh, we, saw, we saw it with all the arrivals in Beijing. India announced a diplomatic and political boycott of the Olympic Games over China's decision to field a torchbearer who was a PLA soldier. While, um, uh, and, and of course, the West is part of a diplomatic um, a boycott already. About 16, 17 countries are not sending any diplomats or political leaders, while Putin, Central Asian presidents, Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan are all in Beijing expressing solidarity with Xi Jinping. Uh, the fifth reason for India to worry is the energy crisis that will come out of this. In any conflict, Europe uh, worries that Russia could turn down gas and oil supplies and drive energy prices up. Already tensions have pushed oil prices up 14% in the past month, past $90. Analysts saying that if the situation is not resolved, it could go to $125 a barrel. That's about 40% up. And finally, there is always the concern of Indians, the Indian diaspora. There are about, uh, in fact, the UN envoy mentioned them specifically in his speech. India has more than 20,000 students uh, in Ukraine, mostly medical students, as well as business professionals in the field of pharma and IT, engineering, medicine and others. The government is concerned about their safety in the event of a crisis, although the MEA is saying it is not at present evacuating citizens or changing, uh, uh, pulling out its diplomats as some of the Western countries has done. So let's just take a look at the situation in the Ukraine and really at the heart of the situation today is history and it's a history that spans centuries, the creation of Ukraine, Ukrainian identity. But we will look at more recent history so you can understand just where the current crisis comes from. In 1991, of course, after the disintegration of the former Soviet Union into Russia and 14 independent countries, Russia has always felt that the West took advantage of its weakness at that time to bring many of Russia's near neighbors into its military alliance, that is NATO. And in just a few years, by 1997, NATO had expanded to 16 new countries in the region, including those like Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania that share borders with Russia that came into NATO in 2004. But if you take a look at the map, you can see why Russia feels that its, its western flank is increasingly being aggressed. Uh, with Russian President Vladimir Putin's ascension to power in 1999, Russia then began to regain some of its strength and global power. And US and other NATO members like Canada, France, Germany, other European countries again began to speak about the worry of Russian, what they call Russian expansionism. A kind of rift began to grow all over again. In 2014, uh, Russia annexed Crimea. 
the southern region just south of Ukraine after what he accused was a Western-sponsored overthrow of the Moscow-friendly Ukrainian president in mass protests. Uh, remember, at the Maidan, this was, uh, this was part of what were called the color revolutions. And after a year or more of violence, in fact, conflict has been continuing on Russia's western flank and, and Ukraine's eastern borders for a while, cross-border shelling, action between Ukrainian forces and pro-Russian militia. Uh, there was a ceasefire, of course, negotiated, uh, called as part of the Minsk agreements. And US and Europe then also responded to the Crimea action with crippling financial sanctions, uh, some of which have affected India, like the Katsa sanctions that came about because of Russia-US tensions following Crimea. An estimated 14,000 people, including 3,000 civilians, have been killed there since 2014. So what exactly does Russia want? And remember, there have been actual papers going back and forth between Moscow and Washington saying, here's what we want, here's what we're prepared to do. The first thing that Mr. Putin has said he wants is to talk. There must be talks to discuss the implementation of previous commitments on uh, NATO expansion. Now, this must be understood in the context of what I said about 1991, because in 1994, um, the, uh, the Ukraine agreed to pass on all its nuclear weapons, to denuclearize in a sense, passing on its weapons really to the former Soviet Union, to Russia now, uh, and in an agreement in which Russia, the US and the UK all uh, are supposed to have agreed that they will not uh, uh, aggress any of the sovereignty, territorial issues, change the status quo when it comes to the Ukraine. And Russia has always thought that to mean uh, that also that Ukraine would not join any Western alliance right on its boundaries. Uh, the second de de demand really from Moscow is that NATO troops must not just move out of uh, trying to, uh, to uh, trying to bring Ukraine into the alliance, but move out of post-Soviet states, as I said, those 14 other states, and some of which are on the western flank. Uh, and it's a commitment, uh, they want a commitment that Ukraine will not be given NATO membership. Uh, then there are security guarantees at once in future. Uh, in addition, of course, uh, and this is a big question around the world, what does Mr. Putin want? Why is he doing what he's doing, amassing these troops? Uh, and the German naval chief who visited Delhi last month and was subsequently sacked for his comments made in India had said, Mr. Putin demands and deserves respect. Uh, this is something that does split a lot of Europe down the middle. Should they be dealing with Mr. Putin's request for these talks, for uh, what the German naval chief, the former naval chief, called uh, respect? Um, and so what do those US and European states that form NATO really want in exchange, or what have they said in their response to Russia's uh, demands? The first is that they want Russian troops to pull back from those borders, 100,000 troops at the border. Uh, they want Russia to stop the war games as well in countries like Belarus at present, but they've been having these in others as well. Uh, and according to a, 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 a document that was leaked to a Spanish newspaper, the US and European allies separately are willing to discuss security guarantees with Mr. Putin, but they will not give a commitment on independent states joining NATO. Uh, Mr. Putin is very keen on these talks on what is called indivisible stability. The US and Europe want guarantees that Russia will not invade Ukraine. And Russia has actually said that it has no intention to. But with those troops amassed there, there is always the chance. 
uh, of something like that happening. Clearly, an all-out war can easily be prevented at this stage through diplomacy, just going by what I've just described. But it is necessary to consider the ongoing risks attached to having tens of thousands of soldiers ranged both sides of borders and any kind of an accident that comes uh, forthwith. In addition to wanting peace, of course, and India constantly says it wants peace between uh, these two partners, India has to consider just how any conflict will actually change the regional alliances in its near neighborhood and the balance of power in the neighborhood much more carefully. Uh, now, I'm going to give you some reading recommendations that add really to previous uh, episodes of Worldview, where we have spoken about Russia-India ties, we've spoken about uh, Russia-US ties as well. And to begin with, it is really necessary to understand this problem. It is necessary to study Soviet and post-Soviet history uh, for the underpinnings of this crisis. Remember, we are speaking really of English books here. Uh, so there will be an inherent Western bias in some of them. We would urge you, of course, to subscribe to The Hindu at www.thehindu.co.in. In particular, my colleague Stanley Johnny has a wonderful series of very balanced, comprehensive explainers and maps on the crisis. So here are the book recommendations. To begin with, there's Red Famine, Stalin's War on Ukraine by Anne Applebaum. It's a critique of Soviet policy. She claims uh, Stalin wanted to subdue Ukrainian independence, Ukrainian nationalism, by starving its former Soviet state. Uh, Applebaum has, of course, more recently written Twilight of Democracy. I think I mentioned it on a previous episode about Poland and other countries that are seeing authoritarian trends. That's a riveting read for sure. Uh, then there's a book written by Vladislav Zubok. Uh, uh, Mr. Zubok is a Russian professor in the UK, and he's written Collapse, The Fall of the Soviet Union. And it's a widely acclaimed description of the Gorbachev and the Yeltsin years and what led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, there's Borderland and Reed, a longer look at the Ukrainian history, including its treatment uh, at various invasions, but at looking really at the hands of the Nazis uh, and the Stalinists over the previous century. There's The Gates of Europe by Serhii Ploki. Uh, this is on the history of Ukraine. Again, if this is something that interests you, uh, this is supposed to be a very good primer on the subject. Uh, there's an interesting book by Russian expert Stephen Cohen, uh, who wrote in 2018 a book called War with Russia? It's a precipient book on events from Putin and Ukraine to Trump and what was called Russiagate in the US. Uh, certainly very interesting because it comes after the 2014 crisis and just before this 2022 one. Uh, and then there are on-the-ground reports, Frontline Ukraine, a crisis in the borderlands, an account of the Maidan protest that I spoke about in Kiev uh, and the Crimean crisis. This is by Richard Sakwa, but there are also other books written by Ukrainian journalists, a collection, in fact, I think, in the Kiev Post as well. Uh, we have, as I said, in previous editions, given you a whole range of books on why India-Russia relations matter. Uh, I would also re-endorse that latest compendium of India's foreign policy in the post-COVID world by Ambassador Surinder Kumar that I've spoken about. So that's all we have time for here on Worldview this week. Do join us again next week and please do keep writing in with all your suggestions. The team here wishes you a happy 2022.